for that. I'm being told by the tech team, let's stretch this out. Oh, we're good. We are live. All right. So I want to say good morning to all our campuses in the South Hills and Robinson, Ross Straver, Wilkinsburg, DeBerry, and all those online. Uh, you just missed about almost a minute applause. In Washington, as I announced today, we are officially commissioning Zeb as a pastor of the Bible Chapel. So if you remember, February 3rd, Ron was here and he preached live from Washington to the entire church. And he kind of put Zeb in a tough spot. He said that day, Zeb was taking the oral exam. And I said, Ron, if he doesn't pass, <laughs> that could be really embarrassing for Zeb. But as expected, because Ron had full confidence, uh, Zeb uh, did a great job in his oral exam. And as of February 3rd, he officially went from the campus director in Washington to the campus pastor in Washington. And we pray for him. Uh, at the Bible Chapel, we have a thorough ordination uh, process. Zeb has completed the master courses uh, required, and he took about a 30-some page ordination exam, the written, and then he went before the elders for the oral exam. And uh, we praise God for Zeb and Lindsay and their six-plus years here invested in Washington. And fittingly, Ed Reed, who is one of our elders and worships here in Washington, uh, Ed's been doing ministry with Zeb ever since Zeb stepped foot here in Washington. And now Ed's going to lead a time of a commissioning prayer. So if you are able, please stand at all of our campuses as we're going to join in that prayer of commissioning. So it's my great honor and privilege to uh, give this prayer of commissioning. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you and uh, we give you praise for what you're doing in your church, in and through your leaders. This morning, we lift Zeb up to you, just uh, thankful for this moment in time, thankful for answered prayer to bring us to this point. We pray for him. We pray for spiritual and moral purity. We pray for his faithfulness in being in your word, in prayer, in teaching and preaching and in leading in your church. We pray that the peace of Christ would guard his heart and his mind. We give you thanks, God, for his family. We give you thanks for Lindsay and her encouragement over these years. Pray that Zeb and Lindsay would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and that their, their relationship with each other would grow as well. We pray for their kids. We pray for Asher and Noah and Sophie and Finn. We thank you, God, for them. We pray that as a church we would come around this family and encourage them in their growth, in their relationship with the Lord. We thank you, God, for your church. We pray that we as a church would encourage them in the ministry uh, here in Washington and throughout the Bible Chapel. We uh, thank you, God, for this people of faith that we would encourage each other in love and in good deeds. You call your leaders to care for the church which Jesus bought with his blood. It is a great responsibility that is upon our leaders. And God, we pray for Zeb, that he would find his strength in the Holy Spirit. We pray that, that he would move forward, uh, serving you faithfully in the years to come. We give you thanks and glory to you, O oh God, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, Amen. 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 <clears throat> Amen. 
You guys can have a seat at all the campuses. We do want to welcome you today. We're very excited about uh, Zeb and his ministry out there. It's been uh, so great to see uh, God work through him, and we're excited for many years uh, as uh, being a part of our staff here at the Bible Chapel and all of our campuses. We are so thankful for all of our campus pastors. Uh, they're the ones who make things happen at each campus. And in our process, as we go through uh, these next years, even more responsibilities will be given to the campuses. So we thank God uh, for everything he's doing there. We also know that unless, um, unless God is working, nothing's going to happen, Right. And so we want to be in prayer. I know we pray uh, uh, in many different areas a lot of times, and, and we are now initiating again, kind of rebooting a congregational prayer on March the 18th. Uh, from 6 to 7 before the elders meeting. Uh, we invite you to come and pray with the elders at 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock on March the 18th, and we'll be rotating that around at the different campuses. We'll have more information out about that, but just uh, mark that now if you would. As we've been thinking about um, over the last weeks, we've been, we've been kind of um, rethinking about our, our, our vision and where we're headed and what we're doing. We got impact from you. We've had a meeting on February the 22nd with about 160, 170 people as we started thinking through the strategic plan of the next three years. It's been an exciting time. That always gives us an opportunity to really think through who we want to be as a church. And we've been thinking about what would God want us to be like, just dreaming about that. We believe that God would want us to be a place where every seeker can come and find Jesus. Wouldn't that be a great place to, to be? Every seeker, now we know that if someone's seeking, God is working in their heart because no one seeks after God on his or her own. But every seeker comes and not only do they understand what it means to trust in Jesus, by the way, Becoming a Christian is kind of a colluded, uh, convoluted message sometimes, but a clear message of what it means to trust in Jesus. They not only hear that, but they see it. They get to watch it in real life as we interact together, as they see you do uh, dating, and as they see you do parenting, as they see you do marriage. They get to see what it looks like to follow hard after Jesus. We also want to be a church, not only where seekers come to know Jesus, but, but believers are growing in their walk with Christ. That Ephesians 4 concept, uh, truth, that we are to be equipping the saints for the work of the Lord, and we are to be growing into Christ, who is the head, and the body builds up itself in love. Wouldn't that be a great place? where believers are serious, not just proclaiming a message about Christ, not just proclaiming that they're a believer, but you see it in their lives. Not perfect. But you see God at work in each person's life, where seekers find Jesus, where believers are growing deep, and where every person, regardless of who you are, where you come from, every person experiences a place of belonging and a place of care. Every person. Not that we condone sin, but that every person who walks in here can understand this is a place where you can belong, where you can be cared for, and where you can grow. Remember a couple times ago, we, I interviewed uh, Lorraine Shipman, who's director of student ministries. She's moving to California. She's reunited with her family. But one of the things that really struck me in that interview, when I was talking to Lorraine, she had a tough upbringing and she needed a place of safety, and she needed a place of refuge. And you know where she found that? In the church. 
Lorraine fell in love with the community before she fell in love with Jesus. She came and she saw people who cared for her, who met her where she was, and in the process, God used that to bring her to himself. Place of belonging, a place of growth, a place where seekers find Jesus. By the way, that's no pipe dream. That's the community we are studying about in 1 John. So take your Bibles and turn there to 1 John. Find the book of Revelation, the last book, and turn back about three books and four books. You're going to be at the book of 1 John. While you're turning there, let me give you a little background. By the way, this is all on your sermon notes. No blanks today. You don't have to fill in any blanks today. Put it all on there because I wanted to go through this. Let's take a moment just to set the context of 1 John, written by the apostle, the last living apostle at the time. John was probably in his 70s or 80s in a day when the life expectancy was below 50. So John is an old man in his day, and he is an elder statesman in the church. When people saw John, they said, that guy was one of the 12 disciples. John carried weight. He was an elder statesman in the church. After living in Jerusalem for a time, he moved to Ephesus. Most people think he wrote this book from Ephesus, and he wrote it to the surrounding churches in Ephesus. Ephesus was in Asia Minor at that time. Today it's in uh, southwestern Turkey. And so all the churches surrounding that probably, if you're familiar with Revelation, the churches of Revelation probably wrote to the churches in Revelation. So he writes this letter, and he writes this letter for five reasons. Number one, he wants to encourage true Christian belonging. First, John is about loving one another and what that looks like in real life, true Christian belonging. Secondly, to help believers experience true joy. What is it like to follow hard after Christ and find meaning and purpose in, in your life? To help believers, number three, avoid falling into patterns of sin. John throughout will talk about this. We'll see some of that today. Number four, to guard against false teaching. There was a lot of error going on at that time. And John said, you got to know what the truth is. And then five, to allow believers to know with certainty that they are children of God and will forever be. That comes from 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. We're going to focus on some things here today. John says, I write these things, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So I'm writing to believers. And I'm writing this, one of my reasons is, so you will what? Know, not think, not hope, but you will know you have eternal life. So right there, John tells us that as a believer, you can know for certain right here, right now, today, you can know for certain that when you die, you will wake up and spend eternity in heaven. Can you think of anything more important to know? And John says, one of the reasons I'm writing this book is so you will know that. He says, I write these things to you. Now that's key, isn't it? Because we got to figure out what these things are. What are the things that John is writing so we can know to confirm our relationship with the Lord? 
We're going to see three things today. Again, on your notes, three things. John's going to give us a list of things we need to know, the things we can kind of use as a checklist in our life, a checkpoint so we can confirm our walk with Christ. And the three things he begins with, we'll add more as we go, but the three things he begins with are these, walking in the light, a pattern of obedience in your life. We'll talk more about that. Cleansed once and for all, cleansed by Jesus. We'll talk more about that. And then confession and acknowledgement of sin. And we'll talk about what confession means. So let's just work our way through this passage. 1 John chapter 1, we're going to look today at 5 through 10. Here's verse 5. John says, this is the message we heard from him. Remember in the first four verses, John said, I want you to know I was with Jesus. I saw him. I I heard him. I watched him do miracles. He was amazing. I walked with him on the roads. I rubbed shoulders with him. after After he died, was buried, and rose from the dead, we touched, he invited us to touch him. We were with Jesus. Now John is saying the message that he gave, the message of salvation, the gospel, the good news that he gave, we heard it from him, and now we proclaim it to you. We are shouting it from the rooftops. We're not going to keep it a secret. We're not going to live our entire life knowing Jesus but not telling anybody else about it. Can you imagine that? John says we're going to proclaim it. And here's the message in one synopsis. The gospel in, 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 in these two lines with the comma in the middle, God is light. God is not the light. God is not a light. God is the source of light. God is the one who gives life. He's the source of all life, physical life, spiritual life. He's the source of all life. He is light, and he also reveals the path to us. He has given us his word so that we now with him can see what's going on around us. God is light. That's not a new concept, but it's something that John will use a lot in his writings. We read about it in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light, the psalmist writes. Psalm 104, 2, he wraps himself in light. We heard it from Jesus. Jesus said, I am the what? Light of the world. And so John is saying, I've heard this message. God is light. He is the source of life. He's a revealer of how to follow him. And in him is what? There's no darkness at all. John uh, will use the uh, comparison of light and darkness a lot through his writings. And John does something else here. We see it here. It, it is kind of unique to his writings. He loves to do a positive and then follow it with a negative. In him is light. He is light. And in him is no darkness at all. That word means there is not one. It's a strong negative. Not one ounce. Not one iota of darkness. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Now, we know what it is to live in the light. We can see. We know where we're headed. And we know what it is to be in the dark. Just imagine a time when you were in pitch black darkness where you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. You can't see where you're headed. You can't see what's behind you. To your right or left, up or down, 
You, you are frozen. You're paralyzed. And John uses this analogy to speak about our spiritual life. We're either, we're either in the light, since God is light, walking with him, or we're in a darkness, spiritual darkness, with no concept, no context of, of, of anything spiritual around us. Look at John 1, 6. Now, remember, John said, I write these things so that you can what? Know you have eternal life. John says, God is light. In him is no darkness. So, if we say, if we make this profession that we have fellowship with him, that we are connected to him, that we are participating in life with him, that we are, have a partnership with God, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, the word walk, we'll see it in a second again, the word walk means the, the, the pattern of life, the habitual pattern of life. So if we say, yeah, I'm a believer, I have fellowship with God, yeah, man, I'm a Christian, but we are walking in darkness internally and externally, it's demonstrated and we know it, then John says, remember John's very black and white, we lie. We're not telling the truth. And we don't practice the truth. Again, the positive and the negative. We lie and the truth is not in us. Now just think about that. Why would a person say that they have fellowship with God? Well, because they were told at some point they were baptized as an infant, and that ushered them into God's family, baptismal regeneration. And so they live their entire life thinking that they're a believer. I'm a believer. I was baptized. Or they are confirmed at a certain age, and they're told, welcome to the family of God. And so they say, I'm a believer. I was confirmed. I went through that confirmation class. Or they go through a process of membership in a church, and they say, hey, I'm a believer. I'm a member of a certain, certain church, the Bible chapel. There are a lot of ways a person could say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I was born in America, right? <laughs> but if they say it and don't demonstrate it, John says, He's, he, he calls it out, right? You're a liar. And the truth is not in us. If you turn to the back of your notes, and if you want to, you can draw this. Let's just think through this. So critical for us to understand. So let's say here's the time when we trust in Christ, right? And here's when we go be with him in heaven. This, this life after Christ to heaven, John describes as walking in the light. And so we can just put light right here. The darkness, let's put on either side. 
Now, I know that's not theological. There's only one darkness. But just to help us think through this, I want to put darkness on both sides. On one side, this person is just, um, they have no interest in God at all, right? Their, their life demonstrates no interest. So we'll just put that. They may come to church. They may do a lot of things, but they, their life just demonstrates no interest. Now, we could also put on that side murderers and, 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 and those who habitually sin in their life, right? But, but no interest. On this side, let's put religious. Because you, be, you can be religious and be just as much in the darkness as a murderer. In fact, who did Jesus confront most of the time in Scripture? The Pharisees, right? They looked religious, but they were in total darkness. So on one hand, you have the reprobate, just I don't care about God, I'll do my thing, I, ain't, I don't even care how, what people think about me. On the other hand, oh, I do care about what people think about me. I want them to think I'm religious. But both of those people are in darkness. When we trust in Christ, things change. When we trust in Christ, we, 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 we live in the light. We walk in the light. And if we were perfect, well, I'll come back to this, our, our path would just be a straight, it's supposed to be a straight line, a straight shot to heaven. That make sense? Living in the light, living in the darkness. John wants us to be certain that we have salvation. He wants us to know with certainty. When I was growing up, I grew up in a church that did not teach, did not believe assurance of salvation, eternal security. We called it once saved, always saved. And in our church, uh, we had an altar at the front, and there was an altar call just about every service. How many times you think I went to the altar? A lot. A lot. And we would go down, and we would ask forgiveness again, and then we'd go back and come back and ask forgiveness again. And the altar was the place where you recommitted or rededicated yourself to the Lord. So I was taught you could be a Christian and lose your salvation. That's bad theology. We'll see that today. But there's only one thing more dangerous than that. You know what that is? Thinking you're a believer and not being one. It's one thing to be a believer and kind of be all over the board. It's another thing, more dangerous, to think you're a believer because I did that baptism thing or because I did that confirmation thing or whatever. I go to church. I give, I give my money and not be a believer. At the end of the day, the person who does not have assurance is going to be, they're a believer. They're going to be welcomed home. And what's Jesus going to say? Welcome home, even with your bad theology. But the person who's not a believer and thinks they are, what's Jesus going to say? I didn't even know you. Depart from me. 
Which camp would you rather be in? There's another camp, knowing with good theology. And that's what John is trying to teach here. So, only one thing worse than having no assurance, and that's having false assurance. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, so we say we have this fellowship with God and he's the source of light. So if we have fellowship with the light, we're going to be walking in the light. That's the pattern of our life. Then we have fellowship one with another. We have fellowship with the living God. We are a child of the living. We get to walk with the living God. Nothing, more, nothing better than that. Walking with God. We have fellowship with God. And here's the reason why. Because the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When you read blood in scripture, then just think of the work of Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection. The work of Christ. The work of Christ on the cross cleanses us from all sin. We were separated. We were living in the darkness. And God interrupted our life. He caused us to follow Jesus. We trusted in Jesus, and it's the work of Jesus on the cross that cleanses us from all sin. By the way, that word cleanses there is in what's called the perfect tense, and that's important because that means one time for all time. That means what happened in the past continues in the future. That means once you've been cleansed by Jesus, you will always be cleansed by Jesus. You'll never be going in the darkness again. You'll never be dirty again. And this word here, sin, is talking about our sinful nature, not specific sins. We'll get to that in a second. But our sinful nature. We were separated from God because we were a sinner. God interrupted our life. Jesus did all the work for us. We trusted in Christ as the only way, not a good way, or one of the ways, the only way to have a relationship with the living God. And his work cleanses us from all sin. Now, if God cleanses us from all sin, right, is it possible that we could live a life that's perfect and not sin. That's what I was taught growing up. That was the other part of the theology. You could come, come a Christian here, you were saved, and then you went back to the altar. Many opportunities to go to the altar in the church I grew up in. You went back to the altar and you were sanctified, set apart. And then when you were sanctified, boom, you shot up and you were on your path to heaven with no sin. That was called entire sanctification. What do you think about that? Can you, after Christ has cleansed you, be perfect and no longer sin? And if I do sin, does that mean I get kicked back into the darkness and have to restart all over again the cleansing process. 
See how John would answer that. Look at verse 8. Oh, John says, okay, to believers, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have no sin, our sinful nature has been cleansed, but now practically as we live our life, if we say we can live a perfect life, we have no sin, John says, you're deceiving yourself. And check this out, the truth is not in us. John, are you sure? You just said we're walking in the light. We have fellowship with God. And you want us to live this habitual life, but now you're saying if we, have no, if we say we have no sin, the truth's not in us. John, are you, are you sure? And he said, yeah, I'm sure. In fact, I'm going to repeat it in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. John, what do you mean? Well, John would say, haven't you read his word? Haven't you ever read the Old Testament? Do you see the people in the Old Testament that God chose to be his people? Guys like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They were chosen by God. They loved God. God had fellowship with them. Undeniable. And yet, there were times when they didn't tell the truth. There were times when they doubted. There were times when they sinned. How about David? A man after God's own heart. You think David had fellowship with God? Absolutely. He committed adultery. Planned the murder of the of the woman's husband. If you say you have no sin, we are a liar and the truth isn't in us. So what do we do with that? Now we're talking about believers, right? What do we do with that? Let's go back to the chart. So here we are. There is no straight shot to heaven. Don't you wish there was? But as a believer, we're in the light. We're walking in the light, right? We're here. But our life would look like this. And we get off track, right? Sometimes way off track. Sometimes we flirt with the darkness. Sometimes we might stay there a little bit. And then come back. And then we may go over here. All the way to heaven. So what do we do? When we're over here or here or barely off, missing the mark, misses as good as a mile, right? Sin is missing the mark. It's getting off that perfect standard of God. So what do we do? Does that mean we get kicked in the darkness? First John 1, 9. Mark it. Memorize it. Use it often. First John 1, 9. If we, so if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. If we say we have no sin, we are a liar and God's word isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, practical sins, the sins I committed this morning in my thoughts or word or deed, the sins I'll commit this afternoon in my words or thoughts or deeds. 
When we confess our sins, he is both faithful and just to forgive us our sins, plural, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's just think through that. The word confess in Greek is two words. It means one, one word means the same thing, and the other word means to say. So it means to say the same thing. To say the same thing as another generally, but here John is saying confess means to say the same thing as who? As God. So when we confess our sins, we are saying, God, here's what, here's what you say. I'm going to say the same thing. You're right. You said not to do this, and I am saying the same thing. I shouldn't have done it. I agree with you. That is sin. When we confess our sins. Now, how do we know what God is saying? How do we know what we should confess? That's why we have to be in God's word every day. Or we're not going to be a believer who confesses his or her sins. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16. We use this, we have this up here a lot. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for what? Teaching. So we know the path. For reproof when we get off the path. For correction. How to get back on the path. And then for training, how to stay on the path. Here's the path. You're off it. You need to get back on it. Here's how you get back on it. Now here's how you can stay on it. That's the word of God throughout all scripture, right? Tells us that. And so we are to be those who are in scripture so we can understand what God is saying so that when we feel that conviction as a believer, and we will, oh, I did it again. God, you're right. I confess. And confession doesn't mean, God, you're right. I confess. I'm moving on. And I'm doing the same thing again. Confession means, oh, you're right. I agree with you. I'm sorry. I repent. I want to change my ways. And I got to tell you, sometimes sin is, Hebrews says what? Sin is pleasurable for a season, right? So sometimes my prayer is, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I did it again, and I want to do it again. So my prayer is, give me the desire not to sin like that again. That's my confession. Give me the desire not to do that. Our sin nature separates us from God. But when we're a believer, we've trusted in him, now we walk in the light, and our sins do not separate us from God. They do, however, let's go back to the, they do, however, if this is the fellowship with God, they do, however, kind of mess up our fellowship, right? Not kind of mess up, it does mess up our fellowship. And that's why we're always wanting to get back in relationship with God. We're not going to do it perfectly. How many of you have had parents? Okay. <laughs> Want to make sure you're still with me? How many of you, when you were a child, ever had, ever did something your parents told you not to do? Two hands go up right there, right? When you did that, did you stop becoming a child of your parents? 
You can't change the biological function, right? You can't change that. Did it cause a little tension in your relationship? Did it make things a little uncomfortable in your relationship? Were you as close with your mom or your dad or whoever you sinned against while you were still sinning? No, but you're still a child. And so when we follow Jesus, when we walk in the light, as he is in light, we have fellowship with him. And when we sin, it doesn't mean we're not his child. Remember, this all came about by the blood of Jesus. He's the one who did all the work. It doesn't mean we're not his child anymore. It means that we don't have that close fellowship with him. We know that. We know when we're in the Word and when we're living a life of, of, of general obedience, we have more fellowship with God. We hear from Him. It's amazing, isn't it? We hear from Him. We're convicted more easily. There's a tenderness of heart. But when we're off on our own, we haven't read the Word for a while, doing our own thing, we don't have that fellowship with God. And so John says, confess your sins to him. When we confess our sins, back to 1 John 1, 9, if you would, thank you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Check, about, check this out. He's faithful. He will do what he promised to do. He always does what he promised he'll do. He's faithful and he's just. God has established the process where he, as a believer, he has to forgive our sins. To be truthful he has to forgive our sins. Why would God have to forgive our sins? Because he sent his son to die for our sins. And he told us when we trust in Jesus and when we're living that life, Jesus died. He put our sins on Jesus to die for our sins on the cross. And so the just judge, we come to him as, a, as his son or daughter, and we say, I agree with you. I sinned. And he says... I'm going to do what I said I'd do. I said I'd forgive you, and I have to do it because your sins have been paid for by Jesus. You're just acknowledging that fact. That's what we're acknowledging in confession. I am bringing my sin to you. I am sorry for doing it. I don't want to do it again. I'm bringing it to you. It's been paid for by Jesus. So you are faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me. That word is not the... Uh, initial cleansing that places us in the light, this would be like a spot cleansing, right? Scrubbing off those sins. Now, there's got to be a limit to confession, right? I mean, how many times? How many times is God going to listen when you go back to him with that same worn-out sin? I mean, how many times? Don't you think after a while he just said, I can't hear that anymore. Time out. No, I'm not going to forgive that one. There's never in Scripture a place where God says, this is how many times I'll forgive your sin. But there's a story that helps us draw a conclusion. Remember when Peter went to Jesus? And Peter was pretty proud of this statement. He said, um, he said hey, Jesus... Um, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Uh, how about seven times? Like, wow, that's a lot. Seven times. Remember what Jesus said? I know, Peter. Seventy 
times seven. Now, Jesus didn't mean 490 times. And in the 491, no. What Jesus was saying is 70 times seven, you just keep, you keep doing it. Keep forgiving those who have sinned against you. And why do we do that? Because our example is our Heavenly Father who keeps forgiving us again and again. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John, this is the beginning of the list, but John writes this so we can know, not hope, not think, not wait for the end to see if our good deeds outweigh our bad. But John says, I'm going to write this so you can know with certainty that you are a child of God and will forever be. Because when you know that with certainty, there is freedom and there's confidence. And you can live loving God, the Heavenly Father, and demonstrating that to the world. Does that mean we have a license to sin? Absolutely not. If someone says, well, I can sin to my heart's content because he is faithful and just. One, John 1, 9, he is faithful, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive my sins and cleanse me from my, if someone says that, I gotta say, time out. Are you really walking in the light? Because that, that is more of what someone in the darkness would say. That's not the habitual desire to follow hard after Jesus. But I got to tell you, because I live both, when you know that you know that you know, the burden is lifted, and you know that you can live a life that pleases him, not perfectly, but he is there, faithful and just, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I, I, I'm not going to say that's the most important thing you, you should know as a believer, right? But it's got to be in the top five. It's got to be in the top five. That gives you the confidence, the, the freedom, the certainty. That allows you to love with freedom and not a dutiful Christian life in fear. So that's my question to you. Do you know that you know that you know? Because you can know. John says it. You can know. Walking in the light. A life of, of cleansing. A life of confession. Those are the things that characterize a person who is walking with the Lord. Never perfectly, but a desire to walk with the Lord. I pray you know that. Now, before we leave, one more thing. Some of you are going through some tough things. And you may say, I get it. I get it. I've trusted in Christ. But I got to tell you, right now, I feel like, I feel like I'm walking in the darkness. It feels dark. I trusted in Christ, but it feels dark. These are times of doubt. 
Some of you may be going through that as a believer. Times of grief. It's a dark time, isn't it? Times of disappointment. Times of discouragement. For some of you, times of depression and illness. You know, when you first have that illness, I, here's what I find. When, I, when you first have that illness, you say, man, God is, God is with me. <laughs> He's going to see me through this. I see people, their faith, their faith like shoots up. And then six months into this thing, nine months into this thing, 10 months into this thing, they're saying, man, I am worn out. My faith isn't shooting up anymore. I'm worn out. Maybe you're worn out by illness. If you're in that camp, you're not losing your salvation. If you're a believer, you can't. You're not walking in the darkness. You're in the light. You're just in a tough stretch of the light. I've asked... Uh, we're going we're gonna to cut to the other uh, campuses now. <clears throat> Here in the South Hills, I've asked Jill to, to come and uh, sing that song again. And I want you to listen to these words. Sometimes life just doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Sometimes we can get discouraged. And I think there are a lot of times God takes us through that to remind us, hey, this is just a little stage of the journey. Wait till you see the light. I mean, the light in heaven. So if you're going through a tough time, just listen to these words. Kirk sent me this song this week and I pulled it up on my phone to listen to it. I was glad I was by myself when I did it. And I texted it out to some family members say, man, you got to listen to this song. Make sure you're by yourself. Listen to these words. Someday, it'll all make sense. Someday, questions will be answered. Someday, we're going to see him face to face. He's the one who, who knows you're brokenhearted he heals the broken heart and he binds up their wounds. He's the one who'll never leave you, never forsake you. He's the one who makes sense of it all one day. Listen to these words and then Jill will invite us to stand with her at some point in the song.